Chapter 1 of the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu states, Tao can be talked about, but not the eternal Tao. My draw to Taoism has always been that it is a school of thought that best fits with my view of the divine nature of the universe. It is not a deity, it has no gender identity, just a force that we come to know. And but we can never really understand it beyond our experience of it. But that's what we're here to discuss today, the nature of divinity. Hello out there, gentle listeners, and welcome to the second episode of SideQuests. I'm Kevin. And I'm not. And we are here with independent Catholic Archbishop Michael Stanberry Manasco. Did I say that right? Have I butchered that? No, you actually nailed it. Manaschino no, Manasco. Maraschino, you know, whatever. I, I'll answer to any of it. Fantastic. Right on. And you're coming, you're out of Rochester, New York. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. Um, As you can, anyone who can hear the sound of my voice knows that I was not born in Rochester, but this is where I am uh, for the last few years. And for the still do a garbage plate like anybody? I, you know, I didn't get to be as big as I am eating daintily. (laughs) Fair enough. I grew up in upstate New York, so I'm, I'm familiar with Rochester. We used to go to metal shows there a lot at the Watershed Music Hall and the Penny Arcade, which I think is closed now. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, pretty um, much, uh, I pretty much know the kink scene and garbage plate, so that's really the limit of my knowledge of Rochester. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, you're not, uh, you're not missing out on a whole lot there. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so uh, to kick it off, can you... Tell us what it means to be an independent Catholic archbishop and like a little bit of your, your past or your background. Sure. So um, as many times as I've explained what uh, an independent Catholic archbishop is, you would think I would have boiled this down to something easier. Um, essentially, I am Catholic in the sense that I was ordained and ultimately consecrated through uh, rituals very similar to those used by the Roman Catholic Church, um, those that have been handed down for centuries. I do not, however, belong to the Roman Catholic Church. I do not answer to them. I um, do not see uh, Pope Francis, for example, or any other pope as being um, superior uh, to any other cleric. He is the Bishop of Rome for the Roman Church. And that's sort of where it ends. He gets a little extra credit simply because it's a numbers game. Um, and that sweet hat. I, well, you know what? I've got my own hat. so um, I, I have a strong <laughs> affinity for impressive headwear. I, well, there you go. Um so yes, I I hold lines of uh, apostolic succession uh, that um, essentially is Jesus ordained the apostles, the apostles then ordained other men, who then ordained other men, all the way along in unbroken lines to modern time. Um, like an is, ordinative heritage type thing. I, it is very similar. It's uh, I, I like to I like to refer to it a lot of times. You'll you'll 
discover pretty quickly that I tend to discuss uh, serious matters in very uh, irreverent terms. Um, I like to, to think of it as like a dog's pedigree. Now, you may have a dog with a beautiful pedigree, and that dog still just isn't quite right. Well, so it's there are blind and has cancer. Well, I mean, there there are some things there. Um, so there are people within the independent movement who um, were they dogs in an earlier century probably would have been drowned. Um, and there are those in the Roman Church that people may say the same. Um, well, maybe should have been honestly. Uh, well. I'm not going to fair, fair, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> you, I'm not going to disagree with you either though. So I don't <laughs> Talk to me about the independent movement. I'm interested in this community of non-Roman Catholic oid Catholics. So within the, the independent movement, I really, I wish that I could say that it was a, cohesive um communicative interworking group um the reality is it is just as fractured uh actually i i will i will modify that more fractured probably um and more contentious than all of the various um occult groups um in fact there's a a joke within the movement there are only two reasons to ever consecrate someone as a bishop one is because they deserve it the other is so that you never have to see them again because generally (laughs) what happens once you consecrate someone the next day They have some great big problem with you and your church, and they leave and go start their own. Um, I have seen it more times than I can count. It sounds like it reproduces by budding almost. It sort of does, except that in most organisms that reproduce by budding, um, generally the bud doesn't then attack the parent well, not with that attitude, it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. That happens w- with a disturbing regularity within the movement. Okay. Um, and wanna... we also have a full range, everything from very, very traditional Latin rite people all the way to people more like myself and maybe some even a little more... Um, liberal than than myself a little more um, open than I am though that's somewhat hard to imagine I want to talk a bit about how there are parallels between independent Catholicism and uh, more I'm not going to use the word traditional I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the taxonomy of Roman Catholicism uh, talk to me about things like sacrament talk to me about things like mass how do you guys conduct yourselves? in ways that are similar to main branch Catholicism. Or differences. Or differences, like, yeah. Let's hear about let's what's different. Compare and contrast, if we can, yeah. 
so again, you like I said, we've, there's a there's a full spectrum of I off the top of my head, I can think of um, a man in Syracuse who um, all of his practices are pre-Vatican II old Roman rituals. Um, that's the only way he will do it. He believes that at the after Vatican II, when so much was changed within the church, when the church was was modernized, um, at that point, the Pope became invalid because he was then teaching a different faith, um, and so folks on that end of the spectrum are referred to as sedevagantists. Um, I'm going to need you to spell that for me. S-E-D-E. You're killing me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to spell it. Anyway. No, that's enough spelling. It starts with S-E. Right. Vagantist. Um, (laughs) No, it, it, it refers to the empty chair. It's this idea that the throne of St. Peter is empty because there is not a valid pope. There's just a dude that sits in it sometimes and says some stuff? There's sort of a a usurper, a pretender. Um, So there are people who practice, uh, whose rituals are much more Anglican. Um, I know some in the movement that hold entirely to... Um, Roman doctrine and Roman practice, and I sort of look at them and scratch my head and say, "Why, why are you independent if you believe everything that they believe and you practice everything that they practice?" Well, at least that way, there's not some dude sitting above them in hierarchy, being like, "You need to this." That's I. I think that that often is the is the case. It's, it's like a um, Roman Catholic with with authority issues. Right, because um, we've never heard of that before. Um, so I myself, uh, my practice is, I, I have always taken sort of a, an eclectic cafeteria sort of approach to things. Um, I personally believe if something resonates with your spirit and is not harming another person, take it. If it doesn't resonate with you leave it there it's not yours um and so i include elements of there are some elements of buddhism um there's a lot of elements way more elements than many are comfortable with um from wicca and uh, celtic pagan traditions um and to be honest, a fair amount of it is um, this is what feels right to me, and it's what I do. Um, for example, I generally when I uh, when I have mass, um, I have a place that I refer to as the Cathedral of the Forest. Um, it's a little spot. Uh, about a 20-minute hike out into the woods right next to a creek. Um, And I will place 
my materials on the ground. Um, I tend to um, use dragon's blood incense, which is not at all traditional in the in the church. I was going to say, have you been have you been uh, listening to any relevant podcasts lately? <laughs> uh, I well, I have have been listening to you guys. Uh, obviously, that's how I found well, you. We appreciate um, that. And you know the usual suspects. The last podcast on the oh, left. Yeah. Sure, you know guys. a few others. Um, yeah, they're sorry. We cut you off though. Um, yeah, yeah. Please, please continue. I'm sorry. Uh, continue. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's quite all right. Um, so I am, <laughs> I am also a non-Masonic Templar, um, and part of that for me, um, I like to to take my sword when I am going for for mass, um, and I will actually draw the circle with my sword before beginning. Right in the dirt. It, yeah. is, it is part of it is part of creating that space for me absolutely um, so I have I have used the term Christo pagan though that doesn't quite um, feel right to me uh, you know if if I can boil down this spiritual into incredibly non-spiritual terms if people ask me what i believe or what they should believe which i can't even believe that people ask that question but it does happen um Uh well basically just try your very best not to be an asshole i think that advice is given with disturbing infrequency indeed Just I, I give person. it as frequently as I can. So. <laughs> Just don't be a douche. Yeah, Just, totally. Yeah, I mean, um, really, I don't, I don't care what you believe, as long as you don't believe that you have the right to harm another person. Um, I, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. Which you will not probably hear many other. Um, clergy within the Christian realm um, say that. Probably not. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever heard yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I I personally believe that all um, all versions of the divine um, are both valid and invalid. Um, How is that? Because, Can you elaborate on that? Because we, each of us, um, has this, this idea of what it means to be uh, divine, or to be a god, or to be... Um, some noble attribute that we can look up to. Um, whatever words we want to put that in and because our human brains are limited we have to create a structure for that to fit in a box for that to fit in and so your construct of god may not be the same as mine it probably won't be exactly the same as mine 
and yet to you, that is God. So, right. in that sense, I, it really doesn't matter because each of us is putting our own form to the divine, whether it's God or goddess or a whole pantheon of them. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and even if you look at the Judeo-Christian scriptures, in the Old Testament, in a couple of different places, there's reference to the council of the gods, um, even right in the in the Ten Commandments itself, God is speaking to the Israelites and saying, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. That doesn't mean that there aren't other or gods that not or that after. other concepts, or that they're not allowed after. I, mean, I feel like Look, I am, even in scripture, God is a bunch of things. Like lots of things contain that divine for a, for a moment, for a period of time. Like for a little bit, God was a bush that was on fire. Like there's a bunch of things that God was or is. Right. And it's, I, you know, in, in evangelical circles, which I, I used to be a Southern Baptist. Um, I was actually a Southern Baptist youth minister. Um, so I was fairly um, fairly knowledgeable of uh, evangelical ideology. Um, they teach this idea that God doesn't change. Like, but but your your own book says that that's a load of crap. And there are different aspects of God in Scripture, right? And I, there are some cultures, I think separate each of those aspects or facets out as a separate being. Um, And if that is easier, if that makes it easier to understand, sure, go for it. I don't care. Um, I know for me personally, I am capable of tremendous compassion. I am also capable of being a raging ass. I try not to go there, but it does happen. Um, And everything in between. So if it makes it easier for someone to take each of those slices and give that a separate name and think of that as a separate thing, I'm good with it, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just a more granular sort of aspects of the divine. Yeah, I mean... I have, I, I sometimes identify as um, a a Christian atheist, which, again, I, I don't like the terminology and it doesn't quite work. But it's, I say that because I do not believe in this construct that many in the, particularly in the American Christian churches, hold of what God is and anything other than that is wrong. Well, if if in your mind that is God, I don't believe in that. Okay. So sort of like a like a non-conforming Christian based deist or theist. I I like I there guess is something yeah, divine that somewhere would be... sort of, but the one that you're picturing probably isn't it. Maybe I, I you know, I you 
I, if I'm understanding, you feel like it's like not like a God is not necessarily like a conscious, like anthropomorphic deity, rather more like a, a force that exists permeating the universe. Is that kind of it? Or I, I think that that would probably be a fairly close, uh, a, a fairly good way to say that. I don't, um, this, this idea of, um, you know, this, this very, European concept of this, the old man with the beard sitting on the throne in the clouds, and right. you know this this sort of Odin kind of idea, which is probably um, ripped from. Let's be real. I, you know, um, well, let me just back sure. up for a second. Christianity never rips anything from pagan culture, sir. Watch Excuse yourself. Me. I I misspoke. <laughs> It was mixed in a bowl with some flavor and food coloring. Please excuse my mistake. You can still have Saturnalia as long as it's about Jesus now. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Right. We're we're gonna rebrand and repackage and it's a rebranding, uh, yes. You know, we're there we that's, go. That's that's exactly what it is. It's uh yes. you know, it's it's not that old pagan stuff anymore. Definitely it's not, not. It's not, it's definitely, absolutely not ever a priest. It is never a priest standing at an altar performing a magic ritual. It is a miracle coming from God. At a stone table that we put in a building. Right, where he says certain words and makes certain gestures, and we believe that physical elements change from one thing into another because of the words and the motions and the grace of God. That doesn't sound like magic at all. Not even a little. (laughs) So before, before we go even further off the roll, uh, off the rails into what uh, definitely is, and has always been a Christian concept. I want to talk about the definition of divinity, like the concept of divinity, like not even a personal interpretation of the divine, more like the, we'll take the conceit that the divine is infinite. Uh, how would we define divinity in and of itself? Like, I mean, like we can quote Merriam Webster here. So like the first definition of the word divine in Merriam Webster is of relating to or proceeding directly from God or a God. So, so let's, let's break that down. How do we define divinity, particularly with regard to an Abrahamic higher power? Abrahamic higher power. So um, I think that where most of us get tripped up, first of all, is in trying to define something that we can't fully comprehend. Mm. Um, so I, I see the divine shining through people and through nature around me all the time. Namaste. I hope that people (laughs) see traces of that shining through me. Um, What does it it feel like? What does it look like? Does it squish between your toes? Tell me about this divinity that that leaks from people and nature and things. There, excuse me, there are times when you can be in the presence of another person or a group of people and through a look or 
a smile or some act of kindness or a touch or whatever, you can feel this inner... I, I don't want to sound too no, go new there. agey and go there, man. But this 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 inner light, this inner energy resonating within you. That is the closest that I can define. So in terms of senses now, we've got divine. a sense of light and we've got a sense of vibration. I'm not trying to box in your definition. I'm trying to enumerate the, the various flavors that you're describing here. Trying to clarify no, my fine. ramblings. What's, Listen, what's buddy, big... you're on an occult <laughs> podcast with two white guys. It's gonna get weird. <laughs> true enough. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Although this is not, I have to say, this is you guys at least so far have not at all been the weirdest podcast I have heard, even today. We are gonna. Darn it, we're gonna have to step it up. Ramp yeah. off of something. Like you're gonna have to gonna have, have to work, work on it to do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so given that given that the the divine is somewhat intangible and somewhat difficult to define, how would you guide another person through the the development of their own sense of divinity? So I think. <clears throat> There is a there is a line in the in the Bible, um, and where it talks about uh, a passage that talks about how before you were born, I wrote my word my words on your heart, um, or before you were created. I can't remember the exact. Well, I'm sure King James um, is a little different from everyone else, so that's fine. So it's sure, sure. Um, so I, 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 you know, and the Gnostics talk about this divine spark, this this bit of um, the divine energy that that resides within within each of us. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I I would tell, or I I do tell people, listen to your inner self. Because it knows how to not be an asshole. Um, now that requires knowing your inner self, um, which is not always comfortable. Um, it's certainly not always easy, and it is a journey that a lot of people are un unwilling to take, um, or maybe unwilling to take at any given time. Um, I know that it is, it is one that I have spent at, at various points in my life. I have dug very deeply into that and at others I have backed away. So have you from found it. that your internal um, concept of divinity shifts or changes when your understanding of yourself shifts and changes? Have you seen that in are, are they your, your supplicants, your congregationists? I don't know what your your crew is called. I I don't actually have a congregation, um, and part of that is conscious decision. Uh, I did have one uh, several years ago, and um, 
I know myself well enough to know that I have, if you look at a checklist of the attributes of cult leaders, Um, I can check a few too many of those boxes. So I think that it is best for myself and for everyone else that I don't put myself in or anyone else in that position again. I want to loop back to the question though. Is, as your yep, as your understanding and concept of yourself shifts, have you found that your understanding and concept of divinity shifts? Are those tied together to some extent? I don't know if I would say that it was my understanding of divinity that shifts or um, my understanding of my perception mm, of okay. divinity. If, if no, that makes means. any sense. I mean, again, we're operating um, off of the assumption that, think, or the conceit even, that divinity is infinite and everyone experiences and understands it a little differently. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we all go through life with glasses on and the, the lenses in those glasses are shaped by our experiences and our cultural backgrounds and our... Uh, the, the things that we encounter in our life and those that lens then affects the way we perceive the world around us which then in turn it becomes cyclical that in turn further affects the lenses um, so I may not always be able to I, I will never be able to remove them there will always be a lens through which I, I see the world around me um, but I can try really hard to be aware of what that lens is and how it's tinted and how it's curved and how areas where it may cause distortion that I need to to maybe I need to work on uh, or places where there may be a scratch from some uh, some past trauma or whatever that I, I need to address. Um, and so I, I again, I, I don't know if it's so much that my my uh, perception of the divine has shifted or my realization that the lens through which I perceive the divine, is uh, different from the one you started with different from where i started because as i clean the glasses and as i repair little scratches and as i pick up new ones along the way you know it changes yeah and i think that's probably really similar for probably everyone um that you know your your perception changes over time and your experience with divinity or um, reality changes as that's you a fun change. parallel to draw a parallel between the understanding of reality and the understanding of divinity I don't know if we're going to go anywhere with that but I like that you put those things together <laughs> I mean they're almost the synonymous in my brain but <laughs> yeah I can say that I have a question here that's just kind of like for funsies. Do you see any parallels uh, between divinity and modern uh, physics, like quantum physics? A while back, I read this really great book by the Dalai Lama called The Universe in a Single Atom. It was about the parallels between his version of Buddhism and, and quantum physics, and I found it fascinating. 
just wondering if uh, if there are any parallels there that you see or so I I am going to acknowledge that I know very very little about quantum physics um, that you are I think this is about the third or fourth time that book has been mentioned um, and so I feel like now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to read it. Um, something comes into into my orbit two or three times, then I start to think, okay, there's probably a reason that that keeps looping back around. Uh, I missed it the first time. Let's let's look at it. Totally. Yeah, I'm the same way. So I do I do have to say, um, you sent me this quote from. Bill Hicks. Oh yeah. Um, that uh, I, for the longest time, I didn't know who it was. The only I I had heard it at the, I, I had heard it on a Tool album. Yes, that's the <laughs> place I first heard it too, and then I looked him up, <laughs> and so I I was that was where I got it, and I had no idea who it was until maybe a year ago, um, and uh, I have I've always loved that quote and i know that that hicks is a comedian and i i know that it's a little bit unjust and at the same time maybe he's not too far off base and yeah, we should share the quote totally for, for our for our delicate listeners who may not be oh, fully aware yeah. of the late great bill hicks uh today a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that really, like, hit me pretty hard when I first heard it because it was also, like, experimenting with psychedelics at the time. I mean, it's when I first started college, you know, 10 years ago or so. And, uh, and it kind of like hit it on the nose for me because I was like, you know, all these things are like super connected. Pretty much everything has some kind of interconnection to it. And when you're on acid, you, or any psychedelic really, you like feel that. And there's no other way to describe what that feels like, except to have, have done it. I can't do it justice in words, but, um, and I think that's the same with like the people's experience of divinity is like you just you just feel it you just know it because it's in your heart you or however you want to describe it like you just you feel it yeah i um i've heard a couple of people that have uh that have have used ayahuasca um describe that same sort of i in fact one of them gave a very very strong warning said you will not come back the same you will never again not know that everything is connected yeah i i've i had read that you will and be heard one that with the same thing whether from you several, like it or several not. people about ayahuasca <laughs> well you I mean, already are you just aware don't realize that you're it. one with the universe whether yeah. you like it or not <laughs> Right, you don't get to take the other pill once the <laughs> once you wake up. That's it. Yep, no going back. So I, w- I want to know 
what do you as uh, as an ordained bishop and and practitioner what do you wish people knew or understood about divinity and why are you personally a good channel for that message not like in the sense of like questioning your credentials I, I want to know what about your life, your studies, your various meditations and practice. What has made you a good person to bring the divine to people and bring people to the divine? So I'm I'm glad that you um, you stated that both ways, both bring the divine to people and you bring the people to the divine. Um, I don't. I don't think that I can bring anyone or that anyone can bring anyone to the divine. Um, I think that we can help one another to find it within, um, to, to recognize that it's, it's there. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't think any of us can bring someone to the divine. Um, so as far as um, what I wish people understood about divinity, um, I guess if I were to give a short answer to that, I would say that divinity is not some far off distant thing. It is within you and it is around you. Recognize it embrace it and act accordingly okay so i want to i want to loop that into a conversation on christian based morality um yeah yeah <laughs> we're, go, we're going there okay. for a second we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get dirty with this one gentle listeners. okay so in right. in an argument yep. of christian morality why is it better to obey the writings of a given faith and be a good person out of a fear of retribution in the afterlife, as opposed to finding it within yourself to just not be an asshole. Is there a better? Are both of these things equally good is, as long as the net result is fewer assholes? Like, where where do we draw that? Well, my first instinct was to say that yeah, fewer assholes is fine, um, no matter how you get there. But the reality is, if it is done out of fear, it will never be a genuine change. Yep. Absolutely. And so really, you don't have less assholes. You have assholes, panicking assholes. with masks. <laughs> and I would, I would I much say, rather. Like I think I saw band, them live it? in concert. Um, the, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I would much rather have if you're <laughs> if someone is going to be an asshole, be upfront about it. Don't hide it. Don't. If that's who you were choosing own to your be, hole. own it. <laughs> <laughs> we all own our whole but <laughs> see i i almost said i would much rather have open assholes than hidden assholes and i knew that you <laughs> sir have come to the right podcast go join a nudist colony then I, 
<laughs> oh man. Okay, so so we'll boil that down a little. So we like when people aren't assholes just because you shouldn't be an asshole. We think it's okay when people aren't assholes because they're terrified think- of Grandpappy Odin in the sky telling them that they're going to burn forever if they're assholes. But we would rather that people just find it in themselves to not be assholes. That would that would absolutely be the preference. Um, I, I will I will take it, however I can get it. I would prefer that it be a genuine shift. But uh, yeah, really, if you're not if you're not kicking the dog or um, you know harassing the uh, the homosexual person or the um, like this this rash of transgender uh, assaults um, if the only reason you are not doing that sort of stuff is because you're afraid of punishment in the afterlife fine I'll take that I would much rather have a genuine conversion and you didn't do it because you didn't want to. Okay. So is there like a gradient here between what the cutoff is for when we want your internal non-asshole drive to take over and when we're okay with the external non-asshole buggy whip to take over? Like we're fine if your internal asshole drive uh, is, is sufficiently strong that you like don't give to charity and you don't recycle. But we're okay with it if you're terrified of Jesus so you don't punch homeless people. <laughs> I think that if it, it is sort of gray and murky and... I mean, these are horrible straw man um, arguments. I'll, I'll be real honest about that. But. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I... Would I love to see everybody, you know, recycle and give to charity and whatever, for whatever motivation? Sure. Um, Am I going to be anywhere near as bothered or offended by that as I am someone um, actually harming another? And of course, you could make the argument that by not donating to charity or by not recycling, you're harming all of us. Harm by inaction rather than harm by direct Um, action. Right. It's it's um, it's sort of a case of, of a sin of omission versus a sin of commission. Uh, although sometimes a sin of omission is just as bad, if not worse. You know, if, for example, you are on the street and you see someone, you know, beating up the gay guy on the corner and you don't step in, you you don't get to walk away on that. Right, you're you're complicit in that. So if you're if you're not doing something to make the situation better, then I, you are you are actively. I I would say actually you are actively making it worse. Can we say that you're being unchristian? Is uh, that somewhere we can go with this? I I would would definitely say that if you look, you know, years ago the the. The popular thing was the the little WWJD bracelets that everybody was wearing. Um, yeah, the shirt that said "What would Ozzy do?" If I remember correctly, Ozzy would 
slur <laughs> incoherently at his wife and bite the head off a bat. I'm pretty sure that was all an act, and the bat thing was just in a movie. Yes, but but, um, but anyway. So, I I I think if you, I would actually love to see those bracelets come back if people would actually think about it and not just wear it as a fashion accessory. So you see something happening and you ask yourself if you are one who believes in the teachings of Jesus and separating that from the, the divinity, whatever. Um, if you are one who professes to believe in the teachings of Jesus, you see a situation going on. What would Jesus do? Would he... For example, turn away immigrants who are trying to protect their children. Would he cut assistance programs to families who, again, are trying to take care of their children? Because um, I personally don't see any way at all that he would have condoned that. I, I uh, it, This brought to me some, some interesting thoughts, like how often has Christianity or, or, you know, God watches over our nation, that kind of rhetoric been used to justify war and like, you'll go fight this battle and it's God's will or in God's name to defend America, blah, blah. And at the same time, if you're, you know, one of the 10 commandments is thou shalt not kill. And you've got all these supposable Christian soldiers going off to, you know, murder people's children in Iraq. I thought it was thou shalt not murder. I thought it was thou shalt not murder specifically. Either way. <laughs> I mean, in, in like, I, I know much more Old Testament a, and, and five books than I know New Testament by any stretch. But I do know that in the original Hebrew and Aramaic, it's typically translated as thou shalt not murder because killing in self-defense is defensible under... Uh, well, can we say that invading law. someone else's country uh, makes you the aggressor? I would agree with that. You know, you guys are doing a terrible job of lining up my WWJD line of bespoke cabinetry because Jesus was a carpenter. <laughs> like, I was warming that up for a few minutes, and this did not go there. I'm and sorry. I was a little bit disappointed. Well, you got it out. I did. <laughs> So I went I went back about a year and a half on your Facebook page and your posts your posts are largely a blend of discussions on left-leaning political issues and reposts of people writing intelligently about world news and events. Uh pretty light on memes, I'm going to say, but I want to ask what do you believe about the role of faith leadership in politics? in world events, in public policy, where do faith leaders belong in that conversation? So, uh, yeah, I, I tend to not share a lot of memes um, because most of the ones that I find hilarious, many other people find tremendously offensive. Um, and so I just don't go there. Um, as far as faith leaders in uh in the public forum if you will um i i believe that we have a responsibility um to um <clears throat> to promote civility um to promote human rights 
um, and to stand in direct opposition to statements or actions that violate the laws of nature. Let's talk about laws of nature a little um, bit, because I've heard that used in ways that I find appealing and in ways that I find unappealing. Could, could you expand on that a little for me? Sure. Sure. Um, so I think when we are, again, in the, the context of, of uh, politics and governance, um, when we are making policy that we reasonably know um, is to the detriment of the environment or to man or to uh, really to any living thing on this planet. We are making policy in violation of the laws of nature. So in like a a traditional Christian state of grace type laws of nature, where like people are benefited by the Um, society and the society benefits from the people. I I am really hesitant to agree with anything labeled traditional Christian. Um, But (laughs) yes, I think that um, the, the purpose of government is to benefit the society and the society um, provides for the for the government, and so it is sort of this cyclical, mutually beneficial, uh, or should be anyway, um, situation. I I actually am um, pretty socialist in in most of my leanings, though I uh, as recently as. Oh, I guess it wasn't that recent again. That recent anymore was it? Um, I spent more hours than I can count campaigning for George W. Bush in the 2000 election. Uh, spent multiple nights Goodness. actually sleeping at campaign headquarters, um, and uh, yeah, because I was there until late. And then I was going to be back early okay. in the morning, and it didn't make sense to leave. Um, and so I, I have you now you. <laughs> publicly confessed my sin. And uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, not entirely sure I do, but um, by the power that we've decided to vest in ourselves, yes, we, we there you grant go. you absolution. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I believe that, uh, to, to try to come back here, um, faith leaders have a responsibility and not only faith leaders, but people of faith. There are some basics that we can all agree on, which again, if you will allow me boil it down to just don't be an asshole or at least try not to be an asshole. Do your best to not be an asshole. I think you that's know, a good takeaway uh, here. Like that that would be good on a shirt. Do your best to not be an asshole. I like it. Yeah. I would wear that shirt. I would also wear that shirt. W- with my clerical. Um, with the frock? Which and Yeah, why not? Sure. Um it would it, it would a offend cassock? a few people. But, is, it a, is it a frock? Uh, a cassock? I, 
Is it a robe? I, I, I do not own a cassock. Um, although I do own a f- full set of mass vestments, okay. but uh, I do not own a cassock. I have debated it for years, but I haven't done it. It's um, a not insignificant expense that I can't, um, I, I can't justify in my own mind. Okay. Um, so. so I want to, I want to roll back up a little bit to the fact that this is two white dudes with an occult podcast. Uh, what can you tell us about Catholic mysticism? Like what weird kind of goopy bits of Catholic practice and faith and liturgy are sometimes glossed over in media representations of Christianity and Catholicism? What, what might our occult and mystically focused listeners take from the backbench of Catholic writings and teachings? Um, so there was a time that within the, within the Roman church, um, priests were trained very differently than they are now. And there were many practices that today would be explicitly referred to as occult that were a routine part of, I mean, they were priest mages in those days. Um, those that has all sort of been sanitized and stripped away from the church. And yet, if we look at the, uh, like we already discussed the, the Eucharistic ritual of the mass, um, many of the lives of the saints are full of this, um, the the Roman Church refers to it as ecstasy. They fall into a state of ecstasy, um, and they see these visions, uh, or they have these experiences that cannot be explained, and they come back from them, and are never the same again. Um, I think the Book of Ezekiel is mostly that. I. <laughs> there is a, a fair amount of it in the Old Testament, a little less in the New Testament, unless you start looking at, you know, Revelation or something. Um, if you look at uh, books that were intentionally excluded, um, like the, the books of Enoch, mm. um, fascinating material, um, very much in contrast with a lot of established Christian teaching and the church decided no this isn't uh, this isn't inspired we're not gonna we're not gonna include this and yet there are quotes from the book of Enoch in the New Testament but the whole book itself is inadequately divinely inspired you must right. be this divine to ride the ride it was <laughs> right it was in circulation it was known by jesus and the apostles because they quoted from it and yet the church a few centuries later says oh yeah no that's garbage we don't need that um (laughs) which i personally all of a, a lot of the other beliefs aside if it was good enough for jesus then who am i to say that it's garbage um, I, and more importantly, who are you to say that it's garbage as the, you know, the representatives of God's kingdom on earth? 
That would be a difficult question for a Roman Catholic <laughs> clergy member I, to answer I, directly. Like, who are you to say that anything good enough for Jesus isn't good enough for you? I have asked a couple of Roman priests about uh, the quotes from Enoch. Um, you know, why are they quoting from a book that's not divinely inspired that doesn't quite make sense to me? Um, or just apocrypha in general. And the, the response that I get generally is, that's above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm well okay. Yeah, All right, man's got to know his limitations, I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess if they're gonna abdicate that responsibility, if they're gonna pass that one up to the supervisor, as it were, <laughs> it's better that they don't attempt to justify it first, right? Like, but like Jesus liked this bit, but he didn't like the rest of the bits, or he would have quoted them, right? More, I guess. Right. No, it just passes that one right up the chain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to pass the buck on that one. I'm not, uh, I'm not touching that. Um, I'm not the shot caller here. But, you know, we get, we get sort of this, this validation of, uh, again, uh, coming back to, to Enoch, because it's quoted directly in the accepted canon of scripture, it, I, I see that same pattern play out later on, whereas we get much of what we know of the early Gnostics, we know not from their writings, but from the writings of the the early church fathers trying to trash the Gnostics and quoting from them extensively. <laughs> These guys are jerks, but here's what they said. Right. So they said this and this and this, and this is why it's wrong. And Okay. So as an institutional church, you guys have no idea that you have actually preserved the material necessary, this theology to continue. That's fascinating. Because otherwise, it would pieces of that. Otherwise, it yeah. would have died out because we don't have enough of it. Most of what we have comes from the early church fathers. And the church preserved there are bits it. and pieces of that in in Jewish liturgy as well, where like in the Mishnah or in the Gemara, they'll write down some of the text of the arguments that they had when they were hashing out interpretations of scripture. Like Rabbi Rachum ben Nachum said this. And nobody agreed. <laughs> right, but now we know what what he said. Right. Because you guys have so preserved even it the for argument us. Thank itself you. is preserved for posterity. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I think I, I as I I mentioned, I am I'm in the process of writing a book that I, I actually told my wife is going to lead either to me being incredibly wealthy or being assassinated one or the other. I don't think there's any space in between. Um, is there a remote possibility that neither of those things will happen or is it absolutely going to be one of the two? I, I I'm going to say probably 90%. The biggest possibility that neither of those is going to happen is that, because I have ADHD, I won't actually get the book finished. That I think is the biggest risk uh, or safeguard. Okay. Either way, um, we'll put that down on the Kickstarter. That's a risk. Okay, <laughs> right. We'll just go ahead and put that out there. Um, but in the 
in the book, I want to look at, um, I have sort of this working title, uh, Jesus was a mage. Um, and looking feisty, look, I like it. Looking at many of his his miracles and how they were, excuse me, how they are very similar to many occult practices, and and actually were occult practices, um, and how much of that carried into the the uh, the. Roman Catholic Church into the Orthodox churches and has continued to this day and because it's so far removed now and it's been so sanitized over the centuries people just accept it and don't think about it anymore and don't Hmm. realize that hey the priest standing at the altar is performing a magical ritual Look at it. Let's change. He's, the- he's going to say some things in a language that none of us speak. <laughs> right. Right. He's going to rely on some outside power source that he refers to as the divine spark. He's going to take this object, raise it up towards the heavens, bring it back. He's going to drink in public, whisper some words he's- over it, breathe right. onto it. He's going to day drink. He, he's going to day drink, and invi- but at least he's going to invite everybody else to share. Uh, everybody gets to day drink. Just don't take too much. Um, particularly, if they have to refill it in the middle, bad form. That is definitely bad form. Uh, you need to get a lar- larger um, chalice if you have a, you know, <laughs> which is actually why they typically have more than one uh, cup on the altar because they don't want to have to refill. Um was then it ends up getting spilled and you know the waiters are questionable and it, it just it's bad uh, i love these little practical insights into the day-to-day <laughs> operation like this is how we do the eucharist because otherwise we'll spill and it'll look bad right you know and then we got to clean the carpet and who has money for cleaning <laughs> right. the carpet when we're busy paying all of these settlements for you know our decades of messing with little boys and you know i I, right. I i can't be bothered cleaning the carpet man just get bring another glass out here it's okay uh, have we mentioned the symbolic cannibalism <laughs> we have not specifically addressed the symbolic cannibalism um oh well now we <laughs> i'm still looking forward to the sequel to your book jesus was a blaster caster <laughs> and your eventual third volume <laughs> jesus was a transmutation wizard I, he gave up necromancy and divination you know i i really um i really appreciate you just laying the whole trilogy out there for me um so now it, it really puts the pressure on to get them finished and get them out there um you've got your you whole know, I will go on the record stating that in the event that you use either of those titles, I gladly give up my intellectual property rights to them, take them in good health, and be happy. <laughs> Translation, please don't shoot me along with this guy. I was I was making I was making a joke. He actually wrote the book. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> Well, well, we'll all be burned at the stake, but oh, at least we'll be warm. Uh, this is true. I, you know, I, I live in upstate New York, and it's 
warm at the moment, but it won't be next week. <laughs> yeah, they can use harsh language. It gets cold in upstate New York. <laughs> Hector, do you have any? Uh, do you have anything you want to ask? Yeah, I wanted to circle back to when we were talking we about go. morality, um, and I had a question about uh, confession, and I was wondering uh, if you thought that whether. I don't know. I just about the effects of confession on um, people's morality. I think originally it was intended to like help people who, you know, made a mistake and did something that they, they didn't like or didn't mean to do to get that weight off their chest. And I wonder if um, perhaps it's now in some ways for some people a way to get away with certain things like, Oh, I can, you know, break these minor sins and then confess on Sunday or whatever. So I know that there that? is um, a fair amount of, of the, of that sort of stuff going on. People think that, that it's okay to do whatever, you know, I can cheat on my taxes. I can cheat on my wife. I can do whatever I want to do because I'm going to go to confession and it'll be fine. Um, and I, for that reason, never really fully bought into confession. And for years as a priest, I would not hear people's confessions. People would come and want to make confession and I'd, I'd just tell them, no, I don't, you're going to have to go somewhere else for that. Um, and Good then, boundaries. and then I had someone come to me and I'd tell them, you don't need someone to act as an intermediary. You just don't. Um, and then I had someone come to me and it was a, it was an older gentleman. Um, and he said, I understand that people don't need a priest between them and God, but sometimes a person who is genuinely burdened by something that they've done cannot let go of it until they are told it is okay and it will continue to eat at their life moving forward um and so sitting with that i realized yeah you're right because i I know from my own personal experience, I am prone to beat myself up and carry my own wrongs against, hold them against me indefinitely. I can forgive anybody else for nearly anything pretty quickly. Myself, that's a different story. So, this idea of a person first there's the the therapeutic piece of just getting it out saying it out loud and exposing it um and then having a person that you perceive to be in a position of authority saying it's okay i forgive you find a way or let me help you find a way to forgive yourself. Um, 
it has tremendous psychological effect. Um, and so for that reason, I started doing it. Um, I also tend to do, I get a lot of calls for, for people who uh, are in need of last rites. And I went out, this was maybe two years ago. I went out and the guy is... Um, he's in a, a nursing home and he's, he's no longer conscious by the time I get there. He's still breathing, but he's, he's been asleep for quite a while. And, um, his family is telling me it was really important to him that he had a priest come and we had been trying to get a priest to come and nobody would come and yada, yada, yada. Um, so, and now he's, he's not here. And I said, well, I tell you what, I will, I will do the ritual anyway. I will anoint him. I will say the prayers over him. I will do the whole thing, everything except the Eucharist because he can't receive it. Um, and so they were, they were grateful for that. And when I got to the point, he's laying there, not moving, labored breathing. I get to the point in the ritual where I tell him, I say that his sins are forgiven. In that second, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, he let out this large exhale and didn't inhale again. So I have no idea what this man was holding on to. I don't know what was burdening him. I know that the moment I told him he was forgiven, he was gone. Um, he was able to let go of that and move on. Um, so I don't think that it is confession is necessary in a spiritual sense. I think that for psychological purposes, it can have tremendous benefit. Um, and for those who are just playing games, there's no benefit anyway. And honestly, if somebody comes to me wanting to make confession, and there's no indication that they are genuinely remorseful for their actions... I'm probably going to call him on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it seems to follow that like in order to truly be forgiven in a spiritual sense by a higher power, you would have to be like remorseful. Yeah. Truly regret it in your heart and not just, I'll use the word be going through the motions. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a good word. I like that one. (laughs) Only the penitent man shall pass. Is that is that a quote from something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you got me. <laughs> yeah, you got me. All right. I wanted to know if you had any questions for us on the topic and on Varans of divinity. Or anything else? Well, or anything else? So you guys have you guys have have asked me to um, to give my definition. Sure. 
Um, and we've gotten some some vague hints at, at yours, but uh, I think that would that would be my question. What is your definition of divinity? Uh, I'll go first, if you don't mind, Kevin. I mostly consider myself, uh, I guess at this point, uh, agnostic. Uh, when it comes to the occult, I tend to follow mostly a um, psychological model of magic. Uh, however, I've always sort of felt uh, similar to, uh, brought it up before, um, Taoism when it comes to you know the nature of divinity or the, the nature of God, that it's kind of this force or energy that permeates the all of existence and we can talk about it but we can never really know it um and i don't really believe that it has any um like consciousness it's just sort of uh you know a force acting and reacting on all of us but i've also always been really fond of that um quote from the dead sea scrolls that found its way into that movie stigmata mm-hmm. if you've ever seen that uh the kingdom of God is inside you and all around you split a piece of wood and I am there and lift a stone and you will find me just kind of that concept that it, it is everything that exists and, and that's it. Yeah. It's a great quote from the gospel of Thomas uh, and not a bad movie. In fact. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I think my relationship with the divine is uh, a bit more hands off. Uh, I, I believe in different flavors and degrees of divinity in the sense of I think that there is basically a, a, a tensioning spring ticking down to the heat death of the universe and divinity is contained within all of those reactions that are yet to occur. I think that there is divinity in the ability of people to collectively explain the things that they cannot understand, not that they don't understand not the things that they're they're ignorant or willfully ignorant about, but the things that they cannot yet conceptualize. I think there is divinity in the ability of people to explain those phenomena. And I think that if there is a specific God being, it is simply a placeholder for what we don't have the language or concept to wrap our heads around yet. Mm. I think God is in potentials. God is in the future understanding that we are investing in by living our lives. I'd also like to tack on an addendum to what I said before. As someone who uh, plays with the, I guess we could call it the chaos paradigm, my beliefs tend to change based on my mood. And what kind of work? What kind of work I'm doing? So you know, talk to me tomorrow, and I might be an atheist. And then you know, two you weeks like from now, I you know, might be something else. So yeah, and I I can appreciate that. I um, I continue to use the Christian construct, the Christian label, whatever. Although I more often than not now I say. I am Christian, but not that kind. Um, and then whatever kind they say, you're like, nope, not that one either. <laughs> yeah, not that one either, maybe. Um, like if an Episcopalian just kind of other, wasn't one. Other white. Right. Um, but um, I, I tend to hold on to that because that is sort of my um, 
my foundation, that is my anchor, though I do tend to float pretty freely, <laughs> more more so than others at, at various times. It almost but, feels uh, like uh, a Christian version of that webcomic Garfield minus Garfield, where it's just all the Garfield strips and they took Garfield out, so it's just an existential exploration of John being in his house. Yeah. It's Garfield minus Garfield. Garfield. Minus Garf- it's incredible. And I'll have to check it's that out. so good. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It it's is also very a sad, but it's sad, it's but <laughs> fascinating. And I feel like there are pieces of that to how you've just defined your your base in Christianity and Christian teaching. No, not that kind, no, not that kind either. But but how it incorporates other elements of your worldview without truly losing anything for not being all Christian all day. Yeah, I don't um I I don't actually find Christianity and paganism to be mutually exclusive. Okay. Um and um and I, I, I use paganism as a a vague catch all uh term. Um I I don't find Christianity to be an exclusive religion. Um, I, I don't see any need for it. Um, and I know that in, um, in times past, and even today in some parts of the world, mostly in Orthodox communities in other parts of the world, um, it is still a much more mystical um experience that many westerners particularly american christians would call um demonic or occult or you know, whatever whatever um, yeah because of course we have to label everything um you know and i i again it it's you know, I think the 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 Wiccan read really, really nails it. We were talking about me. that last week. It was the first time I came across the Wiccan read. I was in I don't know junior high or high school, and I thought, how can anyone not agree with that? The Doreen Valiente version, the "And it harm none, do what you will." Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. How how can anybody disagree it's a with difficult that? standard? It's a really well, a difficult standard because it's but... not that's not an exaggeration at all. Like we talked a bit about this in our last episode, and it harm none if it hurts no one. That's not like they ain't playing with that. It can't hurt anyone, even you. Right. Do what you will. Which is that is the point where I tend to have the most difficulty with it. It's that that even you, even you, <laughs> there are no exceptions to yeah. the Wiccan read. That is that is that is the the that is what has been the sticking point for me in the past. I think it is um, a, a and very I, life affirming bit of absolutism, but it is still a little bit absolutist. Sure, sure. And i I ran ac- ran across the same thing uh, a few years ago. I. Uh, I'm a I'm an alcoholic, so um, 
when I was going through the the AA program, um, they talk about you know making amends as long as it's not going to harm someone. <laughs> I'm like, but right. but right. but I'm not included in that, right? <laughs> Because I'm the one that did the bad <laughs> shit, and it's okay if it hurts me. It should hurt me, but that's not the way. It's not the way it works. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, well, I think that's about what we got. So, can we, Michael? Thank you. Yeah. If you have final thoughts, please. Final thoughts. Final words. I. Um, if you have any more questions, or final yeah, questions, do you have any more questions? You can ask. I am uh, I am very interested to see what what you guys have got coming in the future. Um, good shit I, is what I it have, is. Good shit coming. I, that I have no doubt, my friend. Of that, I have no doubt. Um, I have I have thoroughly enjoyed your program, um, and I hope that I have not wasted an hour and a half not of your at night. All. Um, that some this of this at least is usable. Not even. Yeah, You're going to use going every iota of this. Weird coughs and editing be damned. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm half inclined Off not to edit it at all and just publish uh, it. In full. Send it out into the universe so and see what you, comes back. If you do that, if you do that, and I actually meant to include this disclaimer at the very beginning, despite what my accent sounds like my family tree does actually fork it's not just a pole um, so just, just it's a not just pole. a pole it's not some sort of loop it's a it, it is an actual tree with branches and you know it's some sort of nut tree but it is a tree okay um, that's cool <laughs> <laughs> nut trees are great hey, except nut trees for buckeyes are great. unless you're allergic except for buckeyes they can get fucked not, you I know, I you. think the only acceptable Buckeye is the is the peanut butter kind. Um, I agree with that because there was one dude uh, back at OSU when I was there. I think there's one every few years that made a Buckeye butter and jelly sandwich and had to have his stomach pumped because Buckeyes are toxic. But that is not relevant to anything. So, so Michael, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us <laughs> this evening. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. I really much appreciate you taking the time to sit here for yeah, us for an hour and a half and dick around about divinity. I think we've covered a lot of great territory. <laughs> uh, but I'll well, there's your title for the show: around dicking about around divinity. about divinity. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up. Uh, if you would like to take the third so moted B in our thrice binding. Uh, our purpose is done, good. and our circle is broken. Go back to the world, enriched in knowledge and alight with laughter, at least a little bit more than when we started. So mote it be. So mote it be. So mote it be. Thrice bound and done. Until next time, listeners, fools out.